Welcome to View from the C-Suite, where we have candid conversations with female executives about key business challenges, career advice, and more. This series is brought to you by Wong Duty, the global experience and design unit for Infosys. I'm Skylar Matson, your host and president of Wong Duty. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience tuning in. One of the best things about 2021 for me was having the opportunity to talk with an amazing group of women leaders in our program, View from the C-Suite. While our topics ranged from leading through change to the human experience of healthcare, we asked every guest for general career advice. The responses were so varied and informative that we decided to devote an entire episode to the wisdom of these accomplished and experienced leaders. Since this isn't live, we won't be taking audience questions, but we do invite you to share your thoughts and your favorite moments on social media with the hashtag we always use, Women Empower. We've arranged the content into themes that came up repeatedly. These include how to build trust with your team, why this moment in business is especially opportune for women of color, imposter syndrome, handling mistakes and failure, and what we learned about empathy working remotely during the pandemic. The first theme is the importance of passion, purpose, and hard work in building your career. Passion drives everything. Like, like, and it goes back to the purpose, right? So if you are passionate about something, you're passionate about the purpose, you're passionate about your role, it basically takes you to the next level. And that's how I've actually led my entire career. Um, You know, I spent about 10 plus years in engineering roles, uh, starting my life at uh, HP. Uh, That was the, this was in the early 90s. Uh, And so at that particular time, you know, I didn't know the world of marketing. But now, uh, having lived through both careers, both on the engineering side as well as the marketing side, it's extremely important, you know, to find your passion. So uh, when I made the switch from engineering to marketing, I get asked this question uh, all the time. You know, why did I make the switch? Uh, It's because even while I was in engineering, my passion, I was customer obsessed. It's about being able to understand. When I was in engineering, it, it was about making sure that I can build products which will basically solve customer pain points. Now I'm in marketing, it's the exact same thing. It's being able to build the messages, which will land very well with the customer in order to solve their customer pain uh, pain points, right? So the passion is absolutely critical and important. So that's one. When you have a passion to make a change, you know, basically make sure that you follow through. And I'll give you two of my quotes. For me, strategy without execution is hallucination. You know, so I, I'll also say I have a degree in get shit done. So I would pretty much say that when you have a passion, you know, don't lose focus. Make sure that you follow through. You know, it, when you have a strategy, understand whether you, you have to believe in it. And then you are the one who can actually make that happen. A career in getting shit done. I love that quote. Maruna. And while many leaders talk about using your passion to push yourself to the next level, Angela wisely reminded us that career advancement takes time and that if you work hard and stay the course, you'll reach your goals. 
I always tell people to be patient. I know that's a really hard thing, but you know you have to you have to prove yourself and 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 sit a little bit in a position for a while before you can really go on to the next one. And it's okay. Um, I was passed over for some positions in my career. Um, you know, I had to wait uh, for things to be you know offered to me when I thought they might be at an earlier time. You know, eventually you will get to your goals. And I, I agree, the passion to keep going, even if things don't go your way or on your timeline, do not let that thwart you. And for me, it's great work. Great work stands out. That's how you get mentors. That's how you get sponsors. You get recognized through your great consistent work. And don't ever let the gas up on that. Because at the end of the day, that's what you're there to do to provide for your part of the company. And when you do great work consistently, I'm telling you, it worked on my behalf many, many times. Um, I am a hard worker. You know, I've, I love what I do, but, you know, I, I'm also very reliable. And I think people just realize that over time, you know, I was, I was here to stay and I was very serious about what I was doing and, you know, it ultimately paid off. But I have to be honest, it, it's been 30 years in the making. So that's when I say be a little patient because it didn't happen overnight. It certainly didn't, but the journey's been amazing. And so I wouldn't take away anything that I learned along the way for, for sure. So you know, just um, if you got the passion, you've got the work ethic, um, I, I would say that you will get to your goals absolutely 100% true. As a host, it's been a privilege to hear insights from our guests of color on what advice they would share for women of color as they advance their careers. From being true to yourself to learning to put yourself forward, Maya and B shared essential advice. Where I've done well is, is when I've been myself, right? So I would say be authentic uh, and be true to yourself because people can see if you're not being true to yourself um, and, and you know, take advantage of the fact that DEI is trending. Um, it, it, it brings more opportunities uh, and you leverage that with your expertise and your skills uh, and, and you'll do well. Um, but definitely just be true to yourself. I would say put yourself out there. And so this is, this is not just be Perez saying this, but there's a lot of data that shows that Latinas wait to be invited to a meeting, wait to be invited to a party. We're, you know, the, the culture dynamics tend to be very polite. And, and what I would say is that what I learned when I was younger is that well, I wasn't going to get invited if I didn't raise my hand, if I didn't say, oh, actually, I would love to be in that meeting, even if it's just to learn. And so as an aspiring Latina in business or in your area of expertise, I would actually offer yourself up. Don't wait to be invited. You might get invited, and that's great if someone's you know thinking about it and being more inclusive. But sometimes it's just something that's not on their radar. And so assume that there's positive intent there, but you're not on the radar yet. So invite yourself and say, I'd really like to go. The worst that will happen is they'll say, not this time, but maybe a next time, but you'll then now be on their radar. And, and I learned that because I used to wait and then I'd say, well, why wasn't I invited to that meeting? And then one day I had someone said, said to me, someone who I now keep in touch with who was at Coke for 40 years. And he said to me, why were you waiting to be invited? Why don't you just say you wanted to come? What was the big deal? And I said, well, because Everyone had bigger titles than me. I didn't think I could say I wanted to go. And he started laughing. And I was like, why are you laughing at me? And he said, well, he said, I don't know if it's because you're a woman. I don't know if it's because you're a Latina, but get over it. And he said, he said, you shouldn't separate yourself. You should become one of that group and you should invite yourself in. And if they say no, it's their loss. Uh, that changed my mindset. And all of a sudden, 
I, I either invited myself or asked to be invited to several meetings. You know, dinner's off to the side. I'd say, can I go? I used to get so, so nervous to do it. You can get more comfortable over time and you might get a lot of no's and that's okay. But at least they will remember that you asked and that maybe next time they'll invite you in. Putting yourself forward is an incredibly brave action, but the reward is worth the risk. The theme of risk-taking came up many times in View from the C-Suite. Several of our guests emphasized the importance of trying new things, getting outside of your comfort zone. Take the curvy road and enjoy the ride. Um, so instead of being like overly concerned about creating a straight line up, you know, really enjoy the twists and turns of like lateral moves or being the new kid, whether that's in new organizations or functions or industries and communities, you know, you, you can really learn so much. A career is not a ladder up. It's more like that geodesic dome. Take risks, move outside of your area, work in marketing or IT or in a startup or in accounting. It makes you such a stronger, better person with um, empathy because you see things from another perspective. Um, makes you mar far more marketable in the end because you show that you are versatile and can do many things. What's the worst thing that can happen? Mm. Okay, the worst thing that can happen is I lose my job. You know what? I just made myself more marketable because I showed I was willing to take a risk and I added it to my professional development. And guess what? Somebody else will probably pay me more money and I'll be continuing to add. <laughs> That's the narrative. That's my narrative for failure. My first career, my first journey was really um, in the Department of Defense. Now, what was probably challenging about that, but at the same time fulfilling, is that I was a young woman. I was usually the only woman in the room. Um, it taught me how to really um, build my own self-confidence in terms of being an active participant in the room. And, and many times I get the question, well, how do you do that? And I think it becomes getting really good at what you do, your tradecraft, uh, what you're hired to do. And then at the end of the day, you ultimately have to deliver results so that you're driving an impact and you got to be able to communicate um, not only your expertise, but what those results are. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, so that was a great learning experience. And to kind of, to my point earlier, when you take those risks and you step out of your comfort zone is usually when you're going to find the greatest learning and the greatest rewards by doing so. Interesting enough, you know, as I left DOD and I went to academia and then I went to high tech, I was still the only woman in the room for, for the most part. But one of the risks that I did take is while I was at Intel, I left the IT side and I went over to run a P&L in the data center group. So I ran a business for enterprise and government. I was terrified. They spoke a whole new language that I didn't even know um, uh, on the data center group side. But I look back on that experience of three and a half years and I grew and learned so much I really believe that it ultimately made me a better CIO as I stepped into healthcare. So I think you, each of those opportunities um, 
They're all different. They were all challenging. I think anytime you start a new job, if it's not a little bit challenging, then maybe you're not pushing yourself enough, right? Because there, there should be a little bit of, wow, I got a lot to learn. I find it so inspiring to hear encouragement to take risks and to also hear the concrete things our guests learned along the way. But taking risks can be scary and it's easy to feel insecure or out of place which is why I love this next segment on imposter syndrome. Many of us experience it. I've experienced it, but you don't have to let it be a barrier to your career. You can actually use it to find the best version of yourself. For me, the single biggest blocker um, I, I see in becoming more of who you are is imposter syndrome. I used to think I had to imitate the leadership style of other leaders, and those were mainly um, white men. But when I did, I, I, I started to experience imposter syndrome. And people will define this differently for themselves, but it was like all of my achievements were gained by luck and not by the hard work I had put in. And I, I had a great mentor at the time who was super authentic leader who explained to me that many people, um, I think it's actually 70%, experience it, and it was all part of growth. And he helped me work my way out of it and to recognize my weaknesses and to harness my strengths. So I wish I hadn't known about that. Uh, I didn't even know what it was called, um, but uh, it definitely was a blocker for me when I was younger. And, um, and so I, I talk about it very, very openly um, now, but um, I wish I'd known about it then. Throughout every point of your career, especially as you step into something new or something bigger, um, part of that is, one, you've absolutely earned it. But then, two, there's a lot of unknown. And that's part of continuing in your career. And in that unknown, you know, there's people who say, fake it till you make it. And I'm like, no. <laughs> you learn along the way. You you fly the plane while you're building it, and that's okay, right? Um, you don't need to know it all. And I think that's the part that's helped me get through it is recognizing that there's enough people that believe in me to be in this seat, right? That I've done enough to earn the seat, but I have enough humility to know that I don't know it all and I won't know it all. Um, and that's where I think the best part or the best things that I've been able to do is to surround myself with great experts and partner and learn, right? And, and to be confident in what I do bring to the table, but to be honest and open to say, hey, I need you and your expertise. And together, we're going to do awesome, right? Um, because I think Suma mentioned earlier, like, it takes a village, and it does. And so, yes, you yeah, go through this moment where you have self-doubt, um, but you also have that village to balance you and kind of kick you in the pants sometimes to say, okay, like, you got this. We got this, more importantly. Um, and that's how you kind of pick yourself up together. And, and ultimately nobody ever wins on their own. 
And so just making sure that you have the right surround sounds and the right people um, where you can be that rock for them and they can be that rock for you. Finding your village, finding the right people to surround you is so incredibly important, whether it's your family or your colleagues who build you up and help you get the work done. A number of our guests also talked specifically about the importance of finding the right mentors and building a network as a key to career growth. Find a mentor and a sponsor. There is a difference between a mentor and a sponsor. Mentor is someone who is there for you in order to basically give you guidance and coaching. Uh, you know, it, you could have a you could have multiple mentors across the board. They could be internal within your company. They could be external within your company. You basically go to them in order to get guidance based upon their experience in order to solve certain challenges you might have. But a sponsor is completely different. Sponsor is someone who's an advocate for you. It's awesome if you can find a sponsor internally within the company because that particular person will be a huge advocate. And it doesn't matter whether it's a male or a female. It's about the the level of um, you know opportunity they have in order to influence and advocate for you. So again, make sure that you are able to find mentors and sponsors earlier on in your career, which will make things much more easier and you'll have the opportunity to bounce off ideas. And last but not the least, there is this concept called breaking the glass. And so I actually have gone through that a couple of times earlier on in my career. So when I used to basically, you know, passionately advocate for something, it would be viewed as, you know, she's breaking the glass. If somebody else actually made the comment, especially if it's a male, it was like, it's acceptable, right? So how do you basically drive a balance between that? And I'm a firm believer that you have anything you do, do it respectfully. But at the same time, when you get, when you get a pushback that you're breaking a glass, ask for examples. And that's what I actually learned because people will make offhandish comments saying that, okay, she breaks the glass. So give me an example of what you mean by, you know, why, why do you think I'm actually breaking the glass? And if there, there is a genuine example, it's okay to course correct, right? So it's, it's an important part of the learning. You have to have an open mind uh, in order to basically change behaviors as well. But don't just take that verbatim across the board. You need to have the ability in order to, you know, respectfully challenge people when you basically encounter certain situations. And so, you know, as women, and I'll speak for myself, it was very difficult for me to learn how to be vulnerable. And what I found later in my career is that there is greater strength in the ability to be vulnerable, but the right type of vulnerability in the right place. And Having a mentor that you can be vulnerable with and be honest with is going to be the most powerful kind because then they can be honest with you. Um, and it is in that honesty where you get more personalized feedback, advice. And as you know, think about marketing, like, with the more personalized and customized it is, the more effective it is. Well, it, it's the same in navigating your career, right? Um, there are the truisms that exist, and then there are the truisms that hit home um, because I am who I am, and you are who you are. 
And the nuances of the feedback from a mentor is what can help take you to the next level. So finding that, going back to the first question, I think first and foremost, lean into your network, right? And say like, hey, this is something I want to help myself with. Do you know anybody that can be really good at that or can be really good at providing that perspective? And you know me in terms of the type of person I am and the type of person um, where I best hear people. Um, And so is there someone that you could recommend that I just talk to? I think having be vulnerable enough to extend and ask and then be open to the type of people that they're going to recommend that you may have never thought you would have wanted to speak with or connected with. And then suddenly you have that connection is pretty special. And, you know, it's not necessarily approaching someone, hey, will you be my mentor? But rather, hey, can I ask your advice on something? Hey, can I um, get your perspective on something? And it's a start. And then you start with that type of conversation. And then if it clicks and there's chemistry, then naturally both you and that person will want to keep engaging. And then you have a real natural mentoring relationship. Maintaining connections and personal connections with people is so, so important. Like not just looking for career advice, but personal advice and growth. Um, I've done a lot better at that as my non-30-year-old self (laughs) than I did in my 30s, but I I do treasure the relationships I was able to foster and develop throughout my 30s as well. So I would say people don't do that enough. Um, And when I think about kind of even my time at Pfizer, um, what's been critical and key to my success is is just connecting with my colleagues. And as, as difficult as it may seem that it would be in a virtual space, you just set up 15-minute coffee chats, um, and you can do that with anyone, or a 15-minute phone call just to catch up and see how people are doing and, and, and get advice, so, and always ask for advice and, and listen to it. I mean, um, I think as, as certainly as women, you know, the networking piece, a lot of people are like, oh, why do I have to do this networking piece? Um, but if you, if you look at that networking piece as an opportunity to build relationships and make con- connections, then um, I think your approach is, you know, much differently. And those connections, and this is the beauty of social media, frankly, you can keep, I have connections back to my very first jobs coming out of college because of the power of social media and the ability to keep those connections or reconnect. So the power of networking, start immediately while you're going to school, build that network. And I think of networks in you know almost three different tiers, an operational network where you engage with folks day to day to get your job done. And those relationships are so critical. Um, we then have um, a development network of opportunities. I love how Maya said, if you want to learn something, set up a coffee chat, set up a one-on-one with something and say, really, I'd love to learn more about this. Can you tell me what what you do Um, and how that could be applicable to possibly growing your career? And then there's a strategic network I like to think about of where do I want to be five to 10 years out? So um, I think the power of that networking, the power of building relationships cannot be underestimated. Great advice from Lisa to think about strategic networks as an ongoing discipline. 
Another important discipline is routinely asking for help and feedback. As you get further along in your career, it's easy to think that you have to take everything on your shoulders. You have to figure everything out on your own. But the best leaders ask for help and they ask for input from their teams. Don't be, don't be afraid to ask for help, right? And, and I think the day that you said it, I was like, actually, that's true. Because many times, especially, you know, I look at it from a gender standpoint, right? We don't want to because we feel like we've got it all, got to take it all on the shoulder. There's still a number of times now that I have to go put my shoulders down because I'm carrying so much. And I, I realized that I have to consciously bring my shoulders down because I'm not asking for the help. Right. And I, I, and I, and I reflected that, um, after this. So thank you for, for that advice because I, I'm actually practicing as well. I reflected and go, if I had asked earlier on, where would my journey be? I, I'm totally happy and content and, you know, blessed and, and lucky to be where I am today. But just imagine if we had asked a little bit more, if I knew what I knew now, then, you know, I, I think I would have done a whole lot differently. So I think the biggest advice is do ask for help, but not to be scared to actually ask for the help and tell people where you want to get to. What is your end destination so we can help you, right? Don't just ask for help. I just want to be. But what's your end destination? And be willing to have the ears to hear the advice. Because some of it's going to be hard, right? Uh, some of it may be things we don't want to hear. <laughs> like, I'm not as good as you really think I should be. You know, feedback is a gift, but we have to be open to it. So those are my, you know, those are my two or three things that I would say um, would be the biggest advice. I think becoming a leader is a process. You know, it, it doesn't it doesn't happen in one day. Um, so I, uh, you know, I there are, there are multiple. First of all, there are multiple ways of doing it. I, I think it's really important to get comfortable with the fact that leadership is a journey and to become really adept at asking for and receiving feedback. Um, uh, it is a really fast way to build trust. Uh, um, I have been next to in, in my career many executives who, after giving a speech, will you know, or chairing a meeting, will turn around and say, you know, how did I do? Uh, and I've come to understand there's a lot of power in that question, you know, um, and so the, to me, the best leaders use that feedback to continually sharpen their game. But what it also does to the people around you is that it starts to build trust really, really quickly. And feedback is hard. You know, it's hard to it's, it's difficult to give. It's difficult to receive. And I think if, you, the, the, you know, as, as leaders, no matter where you are, you know, junior leaders, senior leaders, um, the, the more often you can give and receive feedback and the more often you ask for it, which not often people actually ask for it, um, you can build trust much quicker with your, with your teams, with each other um, when, it's, when it's given and received um, uh, on a regular basis. How wonderful that the byproduct of asking for feedback is building more trust with your team. With trust, you can overcome difficulties. With trust, you can make mistakes and learn from them as an individual and as a team. Trust is a powerful thing. Um, and, and for me, it's demonstrative when I know that they are vulnerable enough to say, if I fail, she's got my back. 
right? And I think that's an, an important element because I think sometimes the goal, are they doing the right thing? What if they're doing the wrong thing? It's okay, right? For me, it's okay to fail. It's, it's okay to make mistakes. But I have to, you know, I'm going to be there to support you because we are making that mistakes together, right? It's not you fail, it's we fail. Okay, then we'll pick up and learn from that. And I think that's the that, that's what I always tell people is I always turn it the other way. It's not as always when it's always good to say, well, we can make great decisions. The challenge is always when they, how do they really know you really trust them in, in terms of adversity, right? And I think that's, 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 the, that's the fundamental. And for me, that's when my team knows. It's, I got your back regardless. We're in this together. It's a we, not a you or an I. I think that's important. And how you, you, how you talk, how you behave, you know, your mannerism, it, it, it all matters um, because it's all those unspoken, you know, body language that goes a whole long way. Trust should be something that is, is table stakes. Mm-hmm. We should be trusting absolutely everybody in the organization. Oh, okay, every now and then there is a person who, who will violate compliance or ethics, and that is a, a, a bigger problem. Right. Let's just acknowledge that sometimes that happens. We hire we hire great people. And if they're not delivering, if we're not developing them, I'm sorry, but that that's on me. So I, I believe we should inherently trust everybody in our organization if we're providing them the tools, if we're providing them our why and and educating them on the strategy. Sorry, Absolutely. I jumped right over no. me, but I felt passionate. No, no, no. I, I was going to answer exactly the same way you did because I felt like it's it's a ground, it's you know table stakes. You absolutely have to. I mean, unless they prove you wrong, that's a different element. But you still have to give them chances, regardless. So, otherwise, why hire them? Why why are they part of your team? You know, I always say to people, everybody on my organization, we're all one team. I got to be in the same bunker with you. And the moment that I don't want to be in the bunker with you, then that means maybe it's me because I'm the minority versus the cohort, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's a community. So I, I totally am 150% alignment with what Diane said. I think growth really does come from mistakes. I know these all sorts of sayings there and it sounds cliche, but it's true. And so I, you know, I wish that in my 30 year old self, I, I understood better that language does matter, how you communicate how you share ideas and convey ideas, how you look at areas that are relevant and make sure you're asking the right questions at the same time. I wish I knew all of that because even still today, I fall back and learn those lessons again and again. I I know when I miscommunicate and then you just go, oh, how could I have done that? And sometimes you pay a price and sometimes it just kind of goes by the wayside. But it's those moments where I look back and I say, when I was 30, I don't think I knew what questions to ask, or I'm not sure I asked for enough help. I'm not sure I offered enough help. I'm not sure that I understood that maybe a conversation I wanted to have wasn't relevant to the person I was having it with. And so I just look at all those moments and I say, you know what, I also believe in no regrets. I'm like, you know what, there are no regrets. Those are all learning moments and you just keep moving forward in life and you you just, you know, you kind of pull yourself back up and you learn and you go through it and you just keep going. And I think that's all too important. It is so important. You said language matters. And uh, in our last episode, Diane Schwartz said, words matter, same thing. And I've had those moments where I've just fired off an email and I'm like, no, there was such a better, there was such a better way to do that. And I think sometimes 
we're moving quickly or we're just trying to get things done. And that reminder, language matters, how we communicate with one another. That's all we have. And especially when so much of the communication in the past year has been in email and it hasn't been, I'm going to walk over to their desk and have this conversation. We have to be careful. We really do. Yes, we, we do because language communicates intent. And so while you might have really good intent, if you're miscommunicating, the intent might be misconstrued. And so I think it's really important. And and I'd say, I just would add on to one thing. You have your language and how you communicate. You have your integrity. They go hand in hand, but sometimes language can actually make people feel like your integrity has been compromised. And so I think it's just a reminder. And if you make a mistake in language, admitting it and, and going back and clarifying I mean, I think those moments are equally as important. You don't want to leave something on the table that you didn't clarify. If you walk away and you realize, oh gosh, I didn't communicate that as well as I could have, or maybe I didn't help them enough, or maybe I didn't ask the right, go back. Don't be afraid to go back either. I mean, I think that these are the things that language matters and you could leave someone with the wrong impression or the wrong spirit of intent if you're not communicating in the way that really connects and is truly to the spirit of your integrity. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Go back and admit, you know what? I know I could have done that better. <laughs> yes, exactly. I have done that. Trust me, people appreciate it, you know? And, yeah. and sometimes it's a really painful moment. I mean, I still get the sweaty palms and I think to myself, gosh, they're going to think I'm a terrible person, right? And I didn't mean to do that or I didn't mean to say it that way. And and then you get so nervous. And when you simply just go back and you say, hey, either I'm sorry or I didn't mean to communicate this way. Can I have a do-over? Now, you don't always have that do-over. Sometimes you're in a panel discussion like this or a live moment where you don't get the do-over, but that's okay. You, You know, you also have to forgive yourself, and I think that that's equally important. The pandemic has taught us a lot about work-life balance. We're trying to support working parents and connect more personally, more authentically over video calls. Even though we've been working apart in many unique ways, we've also been brought together. You know, the pandemic taught us a lot, right? And so all of a sudden with the pandemic, digital tools have enabled all of us to communicate more. But what's also happened is when you had moms who had, you know, or parents, I should say, with kids who are at home, and now you might have a family with, you know, three kids and two parents or three kids and one parent, and you need to actually help become the teacher as well as the employee the partner, you're playing all these new roles. So how do you do it all? And so what we found is that we didn't, you know, in the beginning, I think we said, well, our people will give flexibility. They'll be understanding. And while we believe everyone wants that, we realized that we needed to be better for these women and put processes in place to help them. So they didn't have to just rely on, do they have a good manager or does this person have enough empathy to allow them that time to do what they need to do? And so we did, we actually pulled together global policies and we said, you know, please make sure that you're allowing people the flexibility to work within their constraints. So while you might have traditional work hours, you kind of need to look at this differently and allow them to get their work done when it works best for them. At the same time, you know, even now I'll fast forward all the way to some folks are starting to open offices, other offices are not open. We said, you know, for our Atlanta office, we're not going to set a return to work date until, or return to office, I should say, because women have been working, we've all been working, but return to the office is still September 7th. But even with that, we said, but it's flexible. If your job can be done at home or in a different way, do it. Because we also know that 
not everyone yet has an ability to take care of their children and have the right resources. So how do we help them get the resources, which is also about providing access to resources. So we started to build partnerships so women can establish emergency care, have, you know, have a, a network to be able to talk to and communicate to. We also did some funding to support women to be able to better work at home and really all employees to better work at home. Because what we found is that when we put programs in place for moms, it, it equally works for the whole family unit and it works for people even who don't have children. Mm-hmm. And so when we got very focused, we said, let's make sure we have this in place. You know, we also have parental leave programs and, and some of the traditional things you would expect. I say traditional, but I do know some companies don't have that either. So, so we believe it's sort of a team effort. And, you know, and I can tell you, I have one individual on my team where she's a superstar. I can tell you, she'll, you'll be interviewing her at some point because she will take this job that I'm in. She's phenomenal. She has two young kids under the age of, you know, 10 or 11 years old. And it's a lot. And she's in a dual working household. And I remember watching her trying to keep it all together. And I finally said to her, and just out of respect for her, I won't use my name, but I said, it's okay. You, you, don't, you don't have to do this. You can actually, it's okay to not be perfect and it's okay to miss this deadline. Just let me know how I can help. And it was also my ri- reminder as the leader and the manager to make sure I gave that permission and said, it's okay. How can we adjust together? So we do have the policies, we have the protocols, we do have the avenues where people can ask for help and the resources. At the same time, I think it's up to each one of us to make sure that as a manager, as a leader, that we're really tuned into what our people need. Because I don't want to lose my talented you know, colleague who is going to someday sit in this seat and be the person who gets interviewed because, because she simply needs some time and some resource and some energy. And by the way, I would tell all your employees, take vacations, you know, we, people really do need it. And even if it's a staycation, take it, give them the time to not check the email and to not call you back. The world yep. will not fall apart. I mean, at least not in my business. I don't believe that things fall apart. I mean, I, you know, I really do think we've got to give people time and space. In Sanskrit, uh, we, I come from India. There's a word called, a word called uh, Vasudaika Kutumbam, means the whole world is my family. And it's literally the whole world is my family. So I think uh, with the pandemic and the virtual connections and, and everybody going through this uh, thing together, right? Before there were parts of India that were going through a, a, a plague or parts of uh, another uh, country with strife and uh, political unrest and stuff. But with this pandemic, we all experienced something together as a humanity. And that to me is very powerful, even though there was a lot of negativity, a lot of uh, stuff, but Together as humans, we experience the same thing in so many different countries. And I think uh, we will be together uh, stronger because of that. I couldn't wrap it up better than Suma. Thank you to all our guests this year who helped us be stronger together. We appreciate the support of our clients, our colleagues at Infosys, those of you in the audience who join and ask such great questions. And of course, the team at Wong Duty who helped me bring these programs into the world. We hope you can join us in the new year when we feature guests from Europe and our other global studios as we continue discussing the view that women have from the C-suite. To find out more about Wong Duty's work transforming businesses through human experience, go to wongduty.com. If you're a woman in the C-suite and would like to be a guest on this show, please reach out to me at womenleaders at wongduty.com.